this is gonna be the best book you ever read. Like, this is your new favorite book. Off the internet, man. I need to go be introverted. <laughs> Welcome to Books in the City <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to Books in the City. I'm Becky. I'm Libby. I'm Emily. And I'm Kayla. And this is the podcast where we each talk about a recent read and you go home or go to work or wherever you are listening with four new recommendations and four new friends. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I feel like it's funny you said that because today's theme is actually not recent (laughs) read. That is true. It's not. New or old. If you're new, we normally talk about a book we recently read, but... Today, we are doing a very special episode where we went back far into our backlist. Well, maybe not far. Depends on who you are. But I went far. <laughs> more than a year was the yeah. requirement. More th- Something you read more than a year ago. <laughs> Emily's face right now. <laughs> oh, This is like flashbacks to the Christmas episode. <laughs> like more than 500 pages is an issue. <laughs> Emily did not get the memo. Um, <laughs> what are you talking about? She's talking about a book she read last week. So we went back in our backlist and we're going to try to talk about a book that we read a really long time ago and see how much we remember. To be fair, we did all, I think, look back through Goodreads and reviews we've written and to refresh our memories, but we did not reread it. I never wrote a review for mine. So this should be a Mine is before Goodreads. Same. BGR. I had to make up a reading. (laughs) Oh, then you did know the rules. She didn't know the rules for the other thing. <laughs> the other thing. Because oh, she wanted like- me to talk about a book I read three weeks ago. And I was like, that's not how this works. Why? <laughs> the look of terror was shot at Kayla because I was like, again? For those of you confused <laughs> about the other thing, we'll just come clean that we are doing a marathon record. And stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned for a future episode where we do. Hopefully you guys like this because we're going to do it again. But it's going to have a twist. So stay tuned to find out what the twist is on a future episode. But this week backlist we picked it ourselves but none of us really told anyone else kind of what we're talking about. yeah mm-hmm. i mean we we normally don't really announce what we're talking about until we sit down but yeah anywho um a few announcements before we get started if you've been following along with the book club in our fan club it's time for a new book so i'm excited to be doing the may book which is <laughs> Okay, we clearly had to be obvious about the fact that this is dubbed in because I needed some time to figure out exactly what book I wanted to pick. But after a lot of deliberation, my choice for the fan club book club for the month of May is Bellwether Rhapsody by Kate Reculia. Oh, nice. Fun. Uh, Oh, my God. (laughs) That's going to have some good discussion points. (laughs) (laughs) We're oh, not book. gonna be able to stop talking <laughs> about the May book club pick. Wow, you guys are really <laughs> hyphenated actors. Pumped. I don't like the sarcastic tone underneath that. I am a theatre. <laughs> so um, stay tuned for when we announce the dates for that. I'm working on the questions and getting ready so that we can um have a nice chat. So check out Patreon if you want to. Join in, and you can find the link on our website, booksandthecitypod.com. And in the show notes. And in the show notes. Yeah, you don't have to go far. Wait, so, Emily, did you bring... <laughs> Emily's face right oh. now. <laughs> I thought you were going to Did you bring something downtown today? Oh, my yes. God. We haven't done a fishbowl in so long. I know. I, we haven't done a fishbowl in so long, long that Libby in purpose looked in at me, and I panicked because I was like, mate, I'm going third in the rotation today i'm not prepared to talk eloquently about books yet but i know what you're referring she to she needs a warm-up yeah <laughs> just wondering if our friends are here the fish <laughs> they absolutely are nice and here's what they want to know here's what they want <laughs> keep, keep it's funny that we had to ask you whether the fishbowl was here because like if you listen to early episodes the fishbowl is huge it's the size of the room exactly. i don't know how you snuck it in or got it on the train for that matter and how we didn't notice it. carried it out to the fourth floor or do you have like in what about bob i know none of you have seen it because you're lame there's again. but there's a fish <laughs> in the in the jar around 
his neck on a necklace so he can bring his pet along. That is exactly the preferred mode of transportation. I also have a Mary Poppins bag that just like is oh, yeah, endless. That's good. Yeah. I'm having deja vu. Have yeah, I think we've established joke. that this fishbowl is multidimensional, complex, futuristic. It's and like the TARDIS. Yeah. Yeah. What? That's from Doctor Who. That's a Doctor Who reference. Okay. <laughs> I don't get any of your people's references. I feel attacked for bringing up the size of the fishbowl. Jeez. Why? I no. think she's like, I think we established. <laughs> no, Libby goes, uh... I think I'm Emily made that exact in. joke before. Probably. I only have so many jokes. <laughs> oh, so you were attacking her. Okay, good. It's it's yeah. painful <laughs> to like go back and I really just run through maybe five anecdotes that are funny. And I'm like, damn, you really have made this joke about the Joe Bros a lot or whatever. <laughs> so. Always goes back to the Joe Bros. <laughs> All this to say. No. I, okay. All right, what's <laughs> the, the question? The fish asked. If you had to write dating app bios for your fellow co-hosts, what would you write? Dun, dun, dun. Emily's would be, I have the same five jokes. <laughs> and I'm going to show up late. <laughs> and I'll see you in two hours. Always late. I saw through my alarm. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. These are all true facts. If I'm late to the date, it's not because I don't like you. Yeah. <gasps> I'm cute. That's a good one. What are you, a professional date? No, I wrote this question because I need help. Oh. <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. Wait, Let me write that down. Let me jot that. (laughs) Emily's writing it down. That's cute. That's come up sometimes because (laughs) it is my character flaw. I'm fully ready to admit that I am chronically tardy to everything in my life. Even my birth, I imagine. So, like... When you're but you people, don't know because you don't know where your birth certificate is. Yeah. <laughs> but like when you're being people from the internet on your first attempt, you probably shouldn't be late because it looks like you're standing them up. So I always have to be like, I'm running late because that's who I am. So it's a fun balance of like, <laughs> will you put up with this? Will she show up? Because <laughs> it's almost actually I'll argue this. It's almost rude if I show up on time because that's not who I am. <laughs> You know, no. like you're just being honest. Yeah, that would be a catfish. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to catfish yeah. them and pretend like I'm going to show up. These false. I know what they're getting into. Yeah. Um, I was trying to think of one for everybody. But like the one I thought of for Emily was like probably inappropriate. But I guess that's like good. For <gasps> oh, you. my God. Tell me. <laughs> yeah, everybody's like, what? No, I was like two. trying to make a joke about like science and be like, knows how to handle a pipe. <laughs> speaking i've gone down this avenue before and i gotta tell you online guys don't want to hear about your science i mean scientific equipment about equipment when you're working in science right like in in theory very gender skewed towards men you'd think the dating pool would be vast um it is shallow like a kiddie pool <laughs> not like the fishbowl no <laughs> no oh my God. it's a kiddie pool maybe like a manhattan sink shallow you know dating app bios <laughs> okay think... for Livy, i was gonna make a lame joke about like sleep read on your feet <laughs> oh i was gonna mm. say like <laughs> I because that's like your favorite thing <laughs> yeah i would say like non-julian bakers need not apply <laughs> <laughs> Oh I don't want to talk to you unless you're Julie Baker. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say something about uh, like. narrow the. I, I like my plants more than. Oh. You. Plants over people. Yeah. Plants something over like people that. Cute. Oh, that'd be pretty good. Yeah. Or. Uh, Libby's the only one who doesn't need it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty locked down and secure. But. Or like. um, Something about Phoebe Bridgers. Like I have as many. Fun fact. I have as many Grammys as Phoebe Bridgers does. Oh, oh that's cute. Oh. <laughs> you like work. Work in something you like. In an offhand way. That could be good in like two truths and a lie. One of them could be I have as many Grammys as Phoebe Bridgers and then see if this person knows anything about Phoebe Bridgers. Or if they're like, you have a Grammy? Yeah. That's good. Trick them. That's a good Instagram bio though too. So. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe like. Proud to have as many Grammys as Phoebe Bridgers. Proud proud (laughs) to have zero Grammys. Yeah. I don't know. I, I also feel like saying something about. Um, don't hold the fish. <laughs> like, what? You know how guys always upload those. <laughs> yeah, they're always pictures holding, of them oh. holding fish. Yeah, but Be- that's just Kayla. like swipe left right away. Like, wait, don't hold the fish for Kayla. Like, but what is that? It's not my you- best material. Let's work. Your bio is supposed to be about you. I feel like Kayla's yeah. should be like. Oh wait, how do I say this? Okay. <laughs> well, what I was gonna say sounds like bitchy. 
Um, <laughs> oh, no, not about you, but this is getting spicy. Like if if Kayla's was like cooler than you ever. No, or like oh my god, cool. <laughs> hot tip for Kayla's day profile. Better than you. Stay <laughs> in black and white. <laughs> I'm better no, than you. Something I'm like smarter than you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was gonna say like something like that'll get him. I'd. <laughs> okay okay let me just run through my thought process like cooler than you and i'd rather be reading so that it's like <laughs> they know it's like a privilege if you're spending choosing yeah. to spend time with them type of thing was that okay but what about the, what's the cooler than you part? i'm like not cool. i will take wait wait wait. i'll take this idea and run with it. it you could be like um <laughs> i'd rather be reading so if i'm with you feel honored oh, that's yeah good. or like yeah but it, this is a hot take i had this conversation with my friend at work last week i don't like talking to boys about reading i feel like they get very dismissive and they're like i know more and i like i read nonfiction. like i know everything like that's like the last thing i bring up but maybe they could you could weed them out that way yeah i feel like yeah that's 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 i've found that you can weed them out i was thinking like if i'm talking to you if it I'm means res- I'm not yeah. reading, so you or should like, be honored. Or if something. I'm responding like, yeah. to you. Yeah. Or something like <laughs> alliterative. I like <laughs> I think that's like beyond dating apps. Like if I'm answering you, <laughs> like you're worthy. <laughs> okay, but like you <laughs> it's said, it's important yeah. to convey interest. I feel like you could say something like Bravo and Brits and boy bands. Well, my Instagram bio oh. is I read a lot of books and I watch a lot of Real Housewives. So it's like right away, you know. That's a good Those one. Those are the two things I'm probably doing. I could probably have more hot tips on like opening lines because you make a lot of jokes about you want your husband to just like show up on your doorstep. Yeah. It's not, a joke. Like, <laughs> it's not a joke. It's not a joke. What do you mean joke? <laughs> I'm waiting for him to ring the doorbell. Yeah. I But I like the like Bravo Brits boy bands is cute. Yeah. B, 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 B. It doesn't have boy bands. You could just say bands, but I like the bees. Yeah. Keep yeah, bees. I actually do. I haven't been on dating apps in like over a year, but I do end up talking a lot about music. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. Maybe that's where I was going with the cooler than you thing too. Like I've seen more live shows than you. Yeah. Oh, I love putting <laughs> that something. one in actually. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Whatever. I, I'm justified. <laughs> or you could be like, let's talk about the live shows at. Oh, oh, oh. So my Bumble question boys. is usually what was the last show you went to? Yeah. Nice. And then or you what's your favorite? Combo about genres and venues. Yeah. And like best concert you've ever. Because yeah. you can impress a lot of people with your knowledge of venues. Yeah. Oh, so. Thank you. I would I would do that, especially for the Manhattan crowd. Mm-hmm. Rebecca, Becky. let's troubleshoot this. Oh, troubleshoot? <laughs> no, I mean, what is yours currently? Can you share? Um, On Bumble, I'll read it. Becky needs a way to get rid of the New Jersey chin strap people popping up, right? <laughs> oh, I thought you were saying <laughs> she has a New Jersey chin strap. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, like, I can't find, you know, like... We gotta tell. We gotta figure out how to tell Hinge that you're not interested in the New Jersey. I like Hinge frustrates me deeply, and this is for another episode. I I just I find that they only give me attractive people that are five five. (laughs) That's a broader question about the dating pool in Manhattan. Like people say, like it's a better city for guys to date than for girls. If you're putting on your if you're a guy putting on your dating profile that you're five five, how tall are you really? I'm scared five foot right <laughs> anyway probably my, five five yeah because if you were gonna lie you would just say five hey seven. paul simon would be a great husband as carrie fisher told us yeah. last week so. you could be salt and pepper shakers together <laughs> becky, becky you're, you're short, short as i know you don't Bitch. understand this struggle <laughs> yeah. exactly there you're blowing out my uh <laughs> headphones right now i feel very passionately Listen. about this Me, us tall girls on the five nine. i'm not you're the problem <laughs> I'm not um, oh, trying to do the culprit. The the um the plight of tall girls. I'm exactly. just saying I don't necessarily want to date somebody that's you actually. It's the exact same thing. I don't necessarily want to date somebody exactly the same height as me. Yes, but you are you like five most five? guys say five nine. And it's like okay, well you're really five seven and I'm taller. Than well, you. that's why I'm saying why are you saying you're five five? Like yeah, they probably are. Okay, okay. This is getting <laughs> off the rails. My bio currently says I know what. My yeah. bio currently Speaks says hobbies well. include annoying all my friends with Seinfeld quotes and contemplating quitting my job and living on a sailboat. Oh, you I know, like those that. are cute. Okay. I feel like so- that Seinfeld reference is a good way to like yes. 
Yeah. And well, then dudes I'm, probably like talking at you about Seinfeld. Well, and then you. you can find a sailor. <laughs> yeah. I know. And, and like with a boat. My hinge thing says love language Seinfeld quotes, but it's bad. It doesn't. I get if you're a Seinfeld fan, you know, this one line where George says, hi, my name is George. I'm unemployed and I live with my mother. The amount of times that I get that on oh, hinge that's is not. that's depressing. and that's something that people are probably not lying about <laughs> no they are not and i'm like no what if you did mm-hmm. something like need someone to practice my french with french yeah. voice yeah. Love or that. Some, and like bonus points if you can teach me how to sail <laughs> no. oh well You'll no because i can teach own. them how to sail yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. but um, something about like you french. should say that i can teach you how to sail <laughs> that's a good bio all right you're saying the one I have. Wait, you have, you like sports. That's key. I do like sports. You also I think bring you that really up. like sports. You should and have sports on there. You should say <laughs> sporty like spice. Sport. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sporty spice. Something tells me the men in this world will not appreciate the sporty fu- spice. No, I don't want to date someone who doesn't no, appreciate the sporty to, spice. I feel like Becky needs to cover the range because it's like learning to sail, learning French, also can go, can I talk sports football. with you. Also, yeah, meet me at the club. I'll yeah. no one out till four a.m. No, 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 no. Those days have okay, passed. Okay, but it, you know it's like part bed. of part of your. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Hmm. Okay, that well, part, just those. The things. sports yeah. thing, though, I think you gotta needle that in there, and you would get a lot of men who want to speak at you. So here, yeah, I'm also is, is that what I want though? That's the Probably question. not. But is it like what? Yeah, with Kayla with books, or maybe and you dudes save and the sports for when you're in person, see, and then you could yeah. right away be like. You're not going to mansplain. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Here's the thing with guys on these apps. I think they're looking for like a bro dude friend, not a girl. Because they're always like looking for somebody to go to the gym with and throw down some beers at the bar over football. Who are you matching And I'm with? like, no, I'm not <laughs> matching with them. These are the people coming up. And I'm like, you're not looking for a girlfriend. Wait, but do, do you talk to them? No, 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 no. Okay. These are just people coming up that I see. Not mm. like in defense of men, but I feel like they always look for a partner, especially like a, if you're a heterosexual couple, they want their partner to be a therapist for them. Like someone yes, they can they talk want to. Yeah, to do the weight. About, and it's kind of sad because if they're broing out, they should be able to talk to their friends that they brow out with. Or about their, their feelings. They should all go to therapy. <laughs> they should. They should. This has gone way off the Off rails. the grid. But so it sounds the, like you have a good uh, bio. <laughs> well, thanks. Minimal edits. All right. Well, that's good. I wonder if you could say, <laughs> I'm still brainstorming for Becky, but something <laughs> like, um, you should be more concerned with impressing my, <laughs> oh my God, my, my cat. anxious cat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then you'd get a lot of innuendos. So. Yeah. Oh my oh, God. <laughs> oh, never mind. <laughs> Leave that off. Oh my God. Well, um, <laughs> there's also a lot of annoying cat haters, which I mean, I would like to weed out for yeah. sure. What's the point of hating cats? Like, I that's a whole other episode. You'll never hate them as much as they hate you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, this has uh. been great. Very interesting conversation. I think maybe the question should have been because there's, I think maybe it's Bumble has a, a prompt that's like a review by a friend. I feel like that oh, one cute. would be a fun one. Oh, I didn't know that. I've been nice. off Bumble for so long. But that's, again, for another episode. Should, should we talk about books? <laughs> I think we should. <laughs> I hope people like this little like insight in our lives. Non-existent dating lives. Hi, Except Mom. for Lemmy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, what's the secret? Um, anyway. <laughs> Triplers need not apply. You should... <laughs> You should go first. Okay, guys. So like we said in the beginning, we're doing backlist on this episode. And this is going to be rough because I don't <laughs> <Great>. remember. <laughs> Good. So this should be either really fun for you if you've read the book because you'll be screaming at your speaker. Is that fun? And <laughs> saying like, no, hey, that's I not do that. Fun. I scream at the speakers. It's yeah, you fun. do. And or if you've <laughs> never read it, hopefully you still want to read it after this and that I don't let you down. I'm going to talk about The Air You Breathe by Francis DePonte's Pebbles. So it came out in 2018. I read it in 2019. I remember that I loved it. And then I loaned it to my f- most chaotic friend. And I don't Not think me. I'm ever. <laughs> yeah, she's way more chaotic than you. Oh, nice. Um, I don't think I'll ever see it again, but that's fine. MC, if you're listening. See if you can find the book and give it back. <laughs> You're still thinking about it. 
Um, okay, so <laughs> I'm not even top three. <laughs> no, you're in the top. You're, you're my most top. chaotic friend. So, yeah, <laughs> on your Emily, Emily's bio. Thank you. Yeah, voted most chaotic yeah. friend. Most chaotic friend <laughs> since '92. <laughs> no, '94. '94. <laughs> you're so young. Okay. okay, so the book is about. Doris, who is a nine-year-old orphan, and she lives and works on a sugar plantation in Brazil in the 1930s. And one day she like learns that the plantation has been bought by new people. And when they arrived, she finds out that the new owners of the plantation have a daughter that's her age. Her name is Grassa, and she's like a spoiled little rich girl. Um, she's wild. She's like pretty and fun. And she really takes to Doris, and they become like best friends. Like, this book is super about like female friendship. It's like about these two friends and they have that kind of like friendship that you have when you're young and like that friendship that sticks with you through like when you're kind of coming of age, you know, and it's almost that like obsessive friendship and that's what these two have and they bond over in the beginning like childish antics and like you know, playing pranks and running around and, you know, climbing trees, that kind of thing. And just like fun stuff that Doris didn't have before because she was an orphan who had nobody her age. And they also bond over music. They both really like to sing. Grasa has like this beautiful singing voice. And she's also like, she was probably a Leo. <laughs> um, <laughs> Becky looks at me. I'm looking at her. <laughs> <little direct>. <laughs> okay. She's cooler than you. No, just kidding. <laughs> Better than everyone. Coolest <laughs> nine-year-old. <laughs> but um, she's she's like the spot, the one in the spotlight between the two of them. Like, even though main Doris, character energy. Yeah, even though Doris like also is a phenomenal singer and all of that, it's always that Grassa is like the one. Like, Doris is kind of just like always chasing Grassa's like shadow. So they talk about how eventually they're going to leave and they're going to become big stars. And eventually they do leave and they start pursuing their dreams in Rio. And I won't say how they leave because I vaguely only sort of remember it. <laughs> but also I remember it was kind of a big deal um, involving like a school field trip. Um, Wait, they leave they when they leave. get old enough? They no, they're still children. <laughs> I, just I have a lot of questions. They leave? <laughs> dot, dot, but like dot. when they're still kids? Yeah, they're TBD. in school. Uh, and they they leave. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Are you trying to say they dropped out of school to go to Rio? Yes, but like in a kind of dramatic like way. So <laughs> if I'm remembering the right book. <laughs> oh gosh, this is going great. So anyway, they leave, they they like start a life in Rio and they're like poor, you know, because they snuck away basically and they had no plan. And also Grassa's like never been poor and she doesn't know. She doesn't even consider the fact that like they have to get money from somewhere. So they, they're pursuing their dreams. They get really involved in the nightlife scene in Rio and the samba music scene. And that's what this oh. book is like super about samba music and the female friendship element. And oh. I remember it being super, super interesting because like I don't know much about samba and it's like borrowed in so much of like the music that we listen to. And the book is told through the lens of Doris as an old woman. So it kind of gives me seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo vibes in ways so it like flashes back and forth between like different times in her life with Grasa and her kind of like obsessive friendship with her and how it, her friendship with her is still impacting her long after Grasa has passed away mm. so I can't really remember much else <laughs> but I remember how vivid the writing was and how I felt transported and I could hear the music and I could oh. smell the food and like mm. Like, I felt like I was in the streets with them, like, at night when they're, like, you know, doing all of their stuff. And, yeah, I, um... What, did you say when this takes place? Do you the mean? 1930s. But oh, it okay. also, like, I remember there being parts where, like, they're recording an album in the future, like, in Hollywood and, like, different things like that. So it, mm. it goes through multiple timelines. I don't... I remember the 30s is when it starts. So it kind of like spans till somebody in the 30s might get older. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool. Wow. That sounds um, good. Yeah. Yeah, that does sound good. It was good. It was really good. It's That's why I picked it because I was like, okay, I remember this book being something that I really, really liked. But I was challenging myself to remember like 
what happens. Apparently, it was a book of the month I just saw. That's why I remember it. It was like right when I first joined. Um, I gave it four stars. I'm looking back. And yeah, I don't know why I didn't <laughs> give it five because I'm obviously still like it. But probably because back then I would just rate things based on the day of the week <laughs> and how windy it was or something <laughs> well i think like the point of this whole exercise is kind of oh you read books that you enjoy and then you kind of forget about them but you did enjoy them but you can't remember like why you enjoyed them it's part of the joy of reading in my mm-hmm. mind yeah mm-hmm. especially because we all read so many books that like for the most part i can tell you what it was basically about but like you don't remember specifics for or you Everything. need to just like jog your memory. I have the worst memory, actually. So, <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's hard for me to write my notes about a book that I like read the week before. Same. Same. So this is a. F- I hope you guys are having fun with this. That was a struggle. No, um, it wasn't. It was good. Oh, no, okay. that wasn't a struggle at all. I'm convinced. I checked that out from the library a while ago, and then I didn't get around to it because it's kind of chunky, like 400 some pages or something. She doesn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 528 pages. Oh wow! Anywho. Libby, what did you read over a year ago? (laughs) Okay, so I am really excited. Like, remembering this book. I'm glad that we're doing this, basically, because I remember being obsessed with this book. But then if I tried to even tell you kind of what it was about, I was like, oh, what was that about? So then I rediscovered, like, how much I loved it. And I remember a lot of parts now, and I still love it. So it's called The Luminaries by Eleanor... Catan. This is, I think. It's a big. It's it had the moon phases of the moon on the cover. It was like distinct. It also oh, won the Man yes. Booker Prize. It came out in 2013, but I read You're it. You're going way back. Well, oh, I read no, it okay. at the beginning of 2019, but it was that was the year my challenge was like big books so this is what i started with imagine she was like it came out in 1995 <laughs> and you're like wow so long ago you read that <laughs> look one. at you in the crib. yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> it's so good i think oh, that nice. everyone here would love it but you do need to know that it's nearly 900 pages Whoa. but it's so good it's so good i hope i convince you to read it or even if just like one person listening picks this up, I will, my job here will be done. Okay, so it's a mystery. Um, Imagine she's just like, and that's <laughs> it. And I really liked it, so read it. And Bye. it's a mystery to me. <laughs> Have fun. It's a mystery on a couple levels here. No, but I mentioned that because I can't really get into the plot and like the way the mystery unfolds. I'm not a, like the biggest mystery reader, but the way that this one unfolded was like incredible. So it's made up of 12 parts and it kicks off with like a super long part one when a stranger named Walter Moody arrives to the mining town of it's called Hokitika in New Zealand. And it's in 1866. Walter is an outsider. He's from Scotland and he's come to New Zealand to make his fortune in gold because they're having a gold rush. He gets to town and he stumbles upon this like kind of weird vibe, weird vibes in this group. He of stumbles <laughs> upon a weird vibe. <laughs> <laughs> weird, weird vibe in New Zealand. <laughs> no, but he, he gets too many to sheep. <laughs> he gets to this group, this group of 12 guys and it's like a, diverse group in 1866 when like these these people wouldn't normally like be in a group so and it's kind of like this uneasy air like the vibes i I stick with vibes are off vibes are off so he immediately is kind of like drawn in because he's like what are all these people doing why is it so weird over there like what are they talking about whatever and he sort of gets drawn in and realizes that these men are all meeting to pool their knowledge about this one night in the hopes of solving a series of crimes that had happened earlier that month. So the crimes were on the same night. This man, a wealthy man named Emery Staines, went missing. Also, a prostitute named Anna Weatherell attempts suicide. And then the third thing is a drunken, reclusive man named Crosby Wells is found dead in his home. And he is also found with a huge unexplained fortune in his house. So this all like happens 
all 12 of these men at this meeting like have some varying degrees of connection to like the situation or the people in some way and so that's basically part one is just like all of them explaining what was going on that night and like what their backgrounds were and I will say the first part is the longest every subsequent part is half as long as the previous part and that adds a lot of like tension and by the end you're like rushing and you're like oh my god it's moving so quickly like as we get closer to the solving the crime but the I do remember the first part being a lot so like just prepare be prepared like part one is gonna be a little bit of a slog just because it's like a lot to get through and 12 characters is a lot so then as the book goes on you get a little more background like a month or two will go by and you kind of see these people all resume their normal lives but also like they sort of are like gossiping about what came out during this council this night when they were all meeting and like information that was shared in confidence is like filtering out and Mm -hmm. some of the mysteries are like confronted head on eventually you get direct narration from some of the more interesting people like Anna Weatherall herself who up until like a point in the book had only been like talked about and everyone's like you know all these men are talking about her but once you get her story and there's some other side characters who are like fascinating and you get more of their like direct experiences that's kind of all I'm gonna say and I know it it sounds like what I just said you could never justify being like 800 some pages but somehow this book like I don't understand how she did it, but I was like obsessed and it like turned into a page turner, even though it's kind of like this slow burn mystery. And Emily, I know you've talked about this before with like, I think with Tana French, but it's less of like the who done it and more like maybe it's not with Tana French. I don't know. You know, when you've talked about like not who done it. Emily also doesn't remember. <laughs> She's like, wait. Yeah. The, well, my main example is the secret history. It literally opens with, yeah, you know, who died. So it's more of like the why mm-hmm. done it yeah. or like what. And this one, since it's so like epic, I guess, in like the scale of characters and stuff, it's it's like, why do humans make their decisions and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. One other thing that I will say is so there, I mentioned there's 12 parts and at the beginning of each part is a star chart and like it goes through a year, you know. And it's each <laughs> character, <laughs> like where they live Are in Hollywood, sure? or uh, yes. uh, astrological. Astrological. Okay. What? Yeah. I was trying to make a joke and <laughs> get. Oh, it was. Succeed. I'm not acknowledging like, the joke. Nobody's going on the star tour of L.A. <laughs> no, but in it's this cool. <laughs> this was like I wasn't in even New like. They <laughs> <laughs> go see Lord. <laughs> oh my god. It was just cool and like I didn't know all of like what it meant if like Saturn was in Sagittarius and what that meant at this time. But I want to reread. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. So that was cool. It just like was a really, really well done mystery. And I'm like amazed how she pulled this off. And it's super atmospheric and also has some pretty interesting stuff about New Zealand and like the mining industry and the gold rush in this time, which is something I like knew very little about and also like the makeup of New Zealand and like indigenous people versus all of these like European outsiders coming for the gold rush it's just yeah it's not something I'd really read about before and I was like fascinated by that part as well it's so good and as it's all like being cut in half like the last parts are literally like 10 pages and so I just remember by the end I was just like couldn't turn the pages fast enough like the last page literally I gasped and was like oh, what did I just read um I'm gonna it read was this. so good this yes. like my cup of tea I Sounds did it good. my job here son yeah I and I think like the historical like everyone would have something in this the mystery also the historical but like transported type thing it's really good I bought uh this author's other books and never read them because this one is so high in my like memory that I'm just like what if nothing else lives up and wow I need to get over it but what was this 
Well, how many so stars? Good. Five. Five nice. stars. Nice. But I just will say, like, stick with it, even if part one is feeling really slow. And, it like, it is a lot, but it's worth, like, everything that she focuses on in part one pays off throughout the book. It's called The Luminaries by Eleanor Catton. Emily, what did you read? Okay, so I'm going to talk about a book today that I read for school. Oh. oh, that's a good episode. We should idea. do that. I never read the books for school. <laughs> oh, I always I would read them before I would finish them before we were supposed to. I was such a nerd over the summer. Yeah, I bought the cliff notes. Well, I think you're all going to assume it's a book I read for English class, but this is in fact a science book. Um, because I've been Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> oh, the tone went down. <laughs> Okay, I have a yeah. whole spiel. I have a whole spiel about this. So I've been reflecting we're, we're lately. Like the dudes on your dating app. <laughs> I literally, everyone went, oh, their eyes were bright. And then I said it was a science book, and everyone went, oh. Mm. What is it, like a textbook? No. Okay, let me explain. What She's like, the mitochondria. <laughs> the powerhouse. The powerhouse. Nate. <laughs> Let's get into it. Okay, so I've oh been reflecting God. lately about how I don't really talk about my science background or what I do in the lab, mostly because I viewed reading as kind of this way to distract myself from kind of scientific obligations. I am getting frustrated kind of like in the later stage of my training because it's coinciding with this global pandemic and all of a sudden it's like people care about science again. Mm, science <laughs> <And> is cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be that person that's like science is cool. But we were kind of talking about this offline um, where I think a lot of people have this perception of engaging with science because they think it's this elite thing or they're not good at it or whatever. And I felt that way for a long time because on paper, like, science was never my strongest subject. But I don't want anyone to feel like they're too stupid to engage with science, even in a, like, casual way. So I'm recommending a book that I read for my 16K degree, you know, so that you don't have to go and read a science book because I think it's a really approachable, hot topic that most people would enjoy. What's the book? It's called Spillover. Animal Infections in the Next Human Pandemic. Oh, by no. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what? <laughs> We're going to keep going through this? By David Quammen. <laughs> she like, this turns. is not the reception I was hoping to no, achieve. No, I've heard of this. I had a big spiel at the beginning about my career, <laughs> about how anyone would enjoy this book, and I stand by it because I think it's an exciting work of nonfiction. I... Read it in 2015 for school, and it basically changed, like, my personal career trajectory. I thought what was written in this book was so cool, and I wanted to become a part of it, and that's basically why I'm studying immunology right now. While I was reading it in school, I wrote that ever since I read this, I knew something like the current coronavirus outbreak would happen, and I think it'll happen again in our lifetimes. Great. Um, Where was this energy at the beginning of the pandemic? <laughs> Where is this energy? Flashback a year. Well, the crazy thing about it is there's patterns to pandemics, and that's what's covered in this book is like <laughs> the coronavirus outbreak that we're currently experiencing is not the first outbreak, it's not the first pandemic. There's technically infrastructure for all of it, and it just kind of like went to shit because everyone underestimated how severe the. It, it became less of a scientific question and more of a public health question. I think we're all still dealing with the aftermath of that today because every government has decided to evaluate the, you know, resources differently. So if you're kind of interested in, like, you know, not getting wrapped up in the daily headlines and you want to educate yourself about, like, where does this come from? Why? What's a coronavirus? Like, oh, you know, where did where did it emerge from? This book is definitely for you because it's the story of disease ecology. So people who study these things called spillovers, which is a term that refers to any pathogen that comes from one species and like crosses into another. They also talk about zoonotic diseases, which is a fancy term for spillover events that happen from animals to humans. So in the grand scheme of disease ecology, I can tell like everyone has stopped listening to me. But like I'm listening. No, this is like nice because I'll be so well informed. <laughs> for those who study spillover viruses in particular, they're interested in zoonoses because a lot of our major outbreaks over the last, you know, years, such as like the MERS outbreak, the SARS outbreak, Ebola, 
swine flu, the Hendra virus, and also AIDS come from these species that are called reservoir species. So you'll notice like with this coronavirus outbreak, it's spilled over, they think, from bats, which is a common uh, reservoir species. So some of these viruses will jump over from like pig. Influenza is a good example of that. Um, and yeah, like bird flu too. Wasn't bird flu a thing? That's uh yeah, there's the avian flu. Different. Um, comes from <laughs> Not birds. Bird. <laughs> avian <laughs> science book. But um, <laughs> so the next point in my notes was like, so if I'm a scientist, Emily, why should I care? Or if I'm not a scientist, like, why should you care? Well, I, I think was- this year showed us why we should care. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm trying to impart upon people. The fact that in 2015, I was like, holy shit, a pandemic is coming and it's coming our way. And like, it was just so well researched and exciting to read because um, it feels like an adventure tale. A lot of these spillover events happen in predictable places over the course of the, you know, history. So there's like a couple hot spots in the globe where because of the nature of the way humans live with the environment in some of these places, you're a little more close to nature. You're, you're a little closer to wildlife in like Central Africa or um, in Australia or in like the open air markets in China. So these are places that people have already studied and know that they're ripe for a spillover event compared to like, say, Manhattan. We just don't interact with other <laughs> non-human no species nature. very much. <laughs> so when you're reading flu. it, it feels like an adventure. It's like it takes you all over the world. And the way he writes is not very scientific like it does feel like he's telling a story it's well researched well informed i would say that there's no misinformation in this book the author david Quammen is not a scientist by training he has his degree in english so he's very good at distilling the appropriate information and making it exciting to read about which is a whole other skill in science you have to be able to communicate to people why they should care and it's like that's why at the beginning of the pandemic, I was a little taken aback by the fact that people weren't caring or like, it's not new information. All those outbreaks to me were so exciting. There's like a very thrilling, <laughs> I don't know, there's like- Wait. Loving this pandemic. <laughs> I'm not loving the pandemic. So, but so exciting. Okay, like there's anecdotes about, I think in the first SARS outbreak, it almost went global and he like tracked it down to patient zero essentially. And it happened in also in China. That one was more deadly, by the way. It killed like 30% of people. And they made a big deal. That was early 2000s. So I remember reading about how there was a patient who was infected or someone who was infected. Similar to this, you know, like with coronavirus, you're showing symptoms after you're contagious, right? Um, so they were pinpointing people to like a hotel where a lot of world travelers were staying. And they were like, I remember reading about, I mean, I read this a few years ago but they were worried about the ventilation system and how it circulated through the hotel so people who were staying on different floors from like patient zero let's say were getting ready to go on a flight and they kind of like stopped them at the last moment and it was exciting it's like holy shit you don't want this virus to spread or whatever um or like the way he describes the initial patients of the other one i remember is like the the Hendra virus in Australia, which was really deadly, and that came from these huge bats. They're called flying foxes. They're massive what? bats. <laughs> and I they wish like everybody could see Libby's face right now. I hate bats. They're humongous. They're like three feet. And what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a pterodactyl. <laughs> they like I think I think oh so. Oh my gosh. Um and they they live kind of like in nature and there was a horse ranch. The Hendra virus is a type of hemorrhagic virus, so the symptoms are very similar to Ebola, which is a very dramatic oh God. symptom experience, right? And, like, they, they he kind of tracks down the spillover events, so he brings you to a scenario in which it could have spilled over. So, like, essentially the bat, like, took a shit and maybe a horse ate it or something, and then the people who, or the horse got sick, and then the people who were caring for the horses got sick. And oh that's how it God. spilled over. And then... For me, too, as a scientist, it was really cool because they describe what it's like to work and study the viruses. So, like, understand them, contain them, 
And for some of these really dangerous viruses, you have to work in what's called the BSL-4 facility. So that's like a negative pressure environment. There's only a handful of them in the globe. Um, those are like the hazmat suits. And I think it's this book, but they... Wait, they you said <laughs> to study them? That's where they study? Yes, because oh. you can't, there's safety regulations. So, like, if I wanted to work on Ebola virus, I couldn't because it's so dangerous that they don't want you to, you know, contaminate mm-hmm. the world around you, right? So, you have to work in this very specialized environment. These laboratories in the U.S. and uh, around the world are extremely protected because there's a biowarfare element that people are worried about. So, they don't want people driving into these buildings. They have a negative pressure ventilation system. So, like, they won't expel air out into the world like a normal ventilation would. It's, or, oh, I described that wrong. It's positive pressure. So you have to like pull in <laughs> air and recirculate it. We were all it. thinking that too. Oh, we were like, uh, Emily, <laughs> come on. Come on, girl. <laughs> come on. And, um, and you have to Everyone wear this hazmat that. suit. So here's a couple. I had like an emotional experience with this because I felt like I'm on this, I was on an adventure. I wanted to be part of the discovery groups. Like uh-huh. I wanted to help solve a pandemic and sadly i was benched by this one but maybe <laughs> for the next one um Damn it. but as a researcher it's a very high pressure system because they describe specifically with ebola when you're researching there was one woman who like accidentally pricked herself with like just the study of ebola you know she was like working in her laboratory in those big hazmat suits and i think she like pricked her finger and when that happens to you they put you in this thing called the slammer if you work for like the army, which is a big group that studies our <laughs> like one of the big laboratory the groups. A, uh... Yeah, there's like the <laughs> national defense. So if you're working on disease ecology in the U.S., it would be like maybe the CDC or the NIH or there's like a national defense fund through the army. So if you report yourself as potentially being exposed to Ebola virus, they put you in this isolation unit that they call the slammer where they leave you in quarantine essentially for like three weeks, which is the time period that, it, I mean, we think we're in quarantine. Those people are researchers who have worked on the virus, know how horrible the symptoms are oh and are just waiting to like hemorrhage. And a lot of researchers who injured themselves that way never return. But this guy interviewed one woman who returned to the research because she was so like passionate about it. And I don't know, there's like a very action movie quality to the yeah, it's like science of it. But not <laughs> I will say I've Sci. also Just and then <laughs> if you ever are interested in like the genre of pandemics or spillovers or virology, I enjoy reading books like that. And um there's another author called Richard Preston who had a nonfiction book called The Hot Zone, which was all about Ebola. The caveat with that is he dramatized the symptoms a lot so he like describes like organs turning to soup which is not what happens it's painful when you have hemorrhagic fever but your organs don't turn to soup so this guy david kwaman does that mean you just hemorrhage like you're bleeding yeah like from your that's from your tissues so like your eyeballs your nose your mouth it's painful we should probably put a trigger warning on this the eye stuff like freaks me out yeah um so but i thought like again just the way he told the story made it really exciting for someone who's me like who's naturally inclined to like this stuff anyways but i think a lot of people would find it informative the the case studies are well researched and he predicts like he did predict he ends the book with what do we think will be the next spillover event and I remember reading it. It was basically something like this. Or they were really worried about another infectious influenza spillover event. So that is still on the horizon, maybe. It's so crazy how, like, there's this community of people that have been saying this is going to happen again. And the whole world was like, what? Like, what is this? (laughs) Well, this is is why I'm advocating it to people. Because science is also an enterprise that's heavily reliant on money. So it's like the money ran out at the CDC to track outbreaks. What the heck? Well, not ran out. But, like, the funding cycles are not as... They stopped funding outbreak studies, you know, 10 years ago after the SARS first one. So then we were kind of, like, underfunded for some of these, you know... And that all kind of played into the way that things were handled. So I like that the book advocates a prophylactic response to 
studying viruses because they will continue to spill over. I will say I remember or I read a Goodreads review where the man's main takeaway was basically like, oh, I'm never going to eat exotic food when I travel because that's that's not the point of it. Um, A lot of things do spill over from like open air markets in China or Asia. And the point is not that you shouldn't observe those cultures and traditions. It's that it's nearly impossible for humans to combat the environmental damage we've done. We're just up against all these new viruses that have come out of the come out of the woodwork because of the way that we're living our lives and deforesting and like expanding into territories where traditionally we have not lived. And it'll continue to be a problem because we're now exposed to new things. So if you like environmentalism, if you're I don't know, like you want to read about viruses, this is I recommend this. I think about this like once a week I loved this book wow it's so funny you talking about this they're like it's like sigh hold the fi and you're like continuing on like very serious and viruses it's like cute to watch you talk about science I love science well I don't love all science I'll say that don't throw me a physics question but like this is cool and it's highly relevant today I just have a hard time believing that you know because you read the New York Times you're invested in this you're interested in pandemics like Pick yeah. this up, you know? Yeah, we're in one. What book is it? <laughs> Spillover, Animal Infections, and the Next Human Pandemic by David Quammen. And it's got this baboon on the cover. It's quite nice. Um, quite nice. <laughs> Kayla, what about you? Okay, I'm going to talk about literally switching gears completely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to talk about The Alice Network by Kate Quinn. Ooh. I think it's kind of funny. Like, I think people associate this book with me like Emily you bring it up to me you brought it up to me a few times <laughs> and I've said like Learn it's not day. it's not my favorite but like I looked back and on my bookstagram I never posted a review of it because I read it almost a year before I had a bookstagram it was I had I read it before I had Goodreads so like I graduated college in 2017 and I was heavy into the Philippa Gregory like War of the Roses Tudor series and that was the first time I was exposed to historical fiction and like learning history through the women's perspective after that I was like in heavy into thrillers and then by March of 2018 I picked this up and I I wrote I'm like 98% sure this was my first introduction to World War II historical fiction beyond reading books like Night in school like Holocaust books mm. I hold this isn't my favorite World War II book but I hold it in high regard because it kind of like open the door to what became my favorite genre to me but I also realized I should write these notes that I don't know what this book's about <laughs> what is and I didn't write a review so we're just gonna roll with it <laughs> so it's a dual timeline between World War One and World War Two, which is something I always love I'm always looking for more World War One stories and honestly maybe this book is where my interest in World War One, really stemmed from, although I liked learning about it in school. The World War One timeline in this book, I preferred over the World War Two. So it opens, I think, in, it's actually <laughs> post-World War Two. it's 1947. And the main girl is Charlie St. Clair. And I feel like she was from a well-to-do family. I wrote, I could be making this up. I'm pretty sure this was the first historical fiction where I was introduced to Vassar College, which is a famous women's college that I feel like pops up in like every historical Wait, fiction. Have you, you don't know anybody who went to Vassar? It's still a college. No. Oh, I feel like people talk about oh, Vassar yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yeah, no. Huh. Um, but also like I could just be misremembering this. So she, I feel like she had a brother and she was like very close with their cousin Rose. They were, they grew up like sisters and Rose either went missing or she like Charlie completely stopped hearing from her because Rose was living in France during the time that the Nazis were in control there. And Charlie is like determined to figure out what happened to her. Also, I think she's pregnant and that's like a big deal. <laughs> she's from like a well-to-do family and I think so in yeah, the Goodreads reminded me of that, but I forgot that part. Okay, so she, her family, like, sent her to Europe, I think, and then she was like, I'm going to figure out what happened to Rose while I'm here, and she's possibly pregnant. Lots <laughs> happening there, so 
So she is somehow put in contact with this woman, Eve, who was like, I feel like she lived in like, I can like picture in my head what I pictured when I read it. And I'm like, I just like don't know how to describe it. But like, I pictured her like living in this like old big house and she's like kind of a recluse. But the second timeline is her story. So this takes place in 1915 and it's World War One, and she's recruited to work as a spy in France and I thought this was so interesting when I was writing these notes I was like oh even since I read this like three years ago I haven't read a book about spies during World War One I don't think it's always like Mm. the resistance during World War Two so that was cool and I remember like being anxious reading about the things that Eve was doing like it was so interesting to read about. I just really don't remember any specifics. <laughs> Definitely, anxiety this is like inducing. a a ballsy book for you to. I hate that phrase. I should have used a different one, but for you to talk about because it's like a very popular, well loved. I know book. I mean, I loved it. I just like don't remember everything specifically. So Eve like gets roped in with Charlie to help her look for Rose, and there's a guy involved, and I. I think he was Irish because I pictured him as Niall from One Direction. So, (laughs) okay. So they all are like going through France then looking to figure out what happened to Rose. Okay. Like my takeaways, like looking back at this book now, I remember when I read the author's note of this and I found out that Eve's timeline was based off of real women spies in France. And there's like this real person is like incorporated in it. And I was blown away because I didn't realize that there was this whole genre of books like doing that. And like, that's why this book, I will always be like a favorite because it really like opened up my mind to all these opportunities, like learn about more cool women that way. I wrote my note. Maybe this is where my obsession came from. (laughs) Also, though, there is this specific event that happened during World War II and it it's it's a big part of this book so I'm not going to say what it was and recently it came up casually in another World War II book I was reading and I for days was like where did I read about that event and it was the Alice Network and I think that was like it happened in real life though too yes it happened in real life but it's like a very specific event that happened in like occupied France huh that's going to drive me crazy. Well, I can tell you about it after. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I remember the end was like so wild. I didn't see things coming. I like love the way it wrapped up. I didn't, I don't know what I rated it. I think I read this before I was giving books ratings. I didn't have Goodreads. So retroactively, I would give it four stars because I do remember that I got a little bit bored in the middle. But I don't know if that's because I was like just being introduced to like, historical fiction like this so I was like what what are we doing (laughs) (laughs) this isn't the thriller I said yeah I was like so used to thrillers at the time too Mm. that was the Alice Network sorry quick question uh Alice Network okay so that comes from the spy ring in World War One and like the real woman that was like organizing these female spies to like go into France and like slip under the German's nose I'm just picturing them all Codename Alice or something. I think someone's codename is Alice. Okay. Yeah. Nice. You read this? Nope. Becky? Oh. (laughs) Not yet. I feel like this is like, maybe I will reread it even though I don't reread. I would, I was obsessed with it then, but like, it's just so, it's like, I love books like this. Like, maybe I should be refreshed. This is my go to example of a woman walking away on the cover, you know? Yeah. On like a light blue background. That's the prototype for this Mm -hmm. cover for me. (laughs) It's like a gray background. Well, you did just describe the book's cover, so. (laughs) I want to read it. People who read this book are going to be like, the guy was. (laughs) She was maybe pregnant? (laughs) Yeah, let me know if she was pregnant. Well, that was fun. That was pretty fun. Yeah. I think. I had fun. I thought it was fun. Same. This is an example of one of those episodes like from pre-pandemic days where I'd be sitting here thinking, oh God, this is a disaster of an episode happening. And then it ends up being really good. So I have hope. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good. Um, Kayla, what is on your TBR? Oh my God, I always used to say I'm going to read, but I can't say that anymore. Changing the script. Um, 
one of the many books on my TBR is The Light Over London by Julia Kelly. Another example of women facing away from the camera on the cover. Mm-hmm. Libby? Uh, I'm in my TBR has on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me say that again. On my t- my TBR, <laughs> a book that's on my TBR is uh, When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi. Becky? Um, so I want to read Florence Adler Swims Forever. <gasps> Someone just messaged me last week and was like, you need to read this. I have been wanting to read it since last summer and I just didn't. And so maybe this summer, it feels summery. Yeah. But I've heard it's real sad. Yeah. So. Emily, what's on your TBR? Okay, I'm going to read The Ghost Map, the story of London's most terrifying epidemic and how it changed science cities in the modern world by Stephen Johnson. Whoa. I'm pretty sure it's about cholera. Oh, sick. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Wait, but that's interesting because that comes up in a lot of historical fiction. Yeah, it I does. Like. And it's a disease I like, don't really have a real sense of except through historical fiction. And there's a real doctor named Jon Snow who helped <gasps> solve, Whoa. solve the cholera outbreak. He's back Jon from Snow. beyond the wall. Jon Snow solved cholera. <laughs> I thought he knows nothing. <laughs> you know, um, he figured out the outbreak. <laughs> that was um, one thing. And that's cholera. Where are you guys on the book <laughs> internet? <laughs> I'm at Sleep, Run, Read, Repeat. I'm at the Lazy Library. I'm at Becky in the Bookshelves. I'm at K Redwood, and you can find all of us at Books in the City Pod. Make sure you're using our hashtag My Books in the City whenever you're posting something we inspired you to read. Please make sure you're following, subscribed, whatever it is you have to do on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Follow us on Twitter at BATC Pod, like our Facebook page, Books in the City Podcast. Join our fan club for fun things like the book club and more. And if you're still yeah. here, comment on the post for this episode on Instagram and tell us the backlist book that you remember loving, but you have no idea what it's about. Oh, that's a good one. Yes. And thank you to our Carrie Level producers, Diane Worth, Riley Harrell, Carrie Kissinger, Brenna Collins, Amanda Borgia, Elizabeth Jamka, and Susie Southwick. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.